Amen. Good morning, everybody. Man, how about our worship team this morning? Aren't they great? Absolutely. Good stuff. Awesome worship team. Uh, awesome uh, just participation in the service all around. We got Steve over here reading the scripture. Best voice ever. Like, who needs James Earl Jones, right, when you got him? If you buy the Bible on CD from, like, Zondervan or the Christian Bookstore, it's actually Steve's voice that's on there. So it's pretty... I'm kidding. That I wish it should be. Um, hey, are you having a good summer? Good. Four of you. Uh, awesome. Are you having a good summer? Okay, good. Awesome. I knew you were. Uh, we're having an awesome summer uh, here at Hope, and particularly at, at Hope Des Moines, you heard about uh, the exciting uh, renovations taking place downtown. We've got uh, park nights going on midweek. We've got uh, men went mini-golfing and had wings last night, and uh, coming off our, our Taste of Hope celebration and, and Vacation Bible School at, at all four of our campuses. And I, I know that some of you have been in and out, and some of you have heard this before, but uh, you know when it, when it kind of felt like a mini-revival, that the kids led uh, for us. And when you're coming off that, it's hard to come down uh, off of that. But uh, several weeks ago, uh, during Vacation Bible School, uh, I got to play the role of Super Dude. I don't know, you can see a, a couple pictures up there uh, on the screen. I think we've got the next one up there. But um, So I'm in this costume, uh, acting like Super Dude, and, and when we're not on stage, I take it off because I'm sweating terribly. Um, and so I, I take it off, and I'm just in my normal clothes, and a couple weeks ago, this, um, this little girl from VBS came running up to me, and she said, Hey, mister, I know who you are. <laughs> like, I'm just in my normal clothes. I'm not in my super dude costume or anything. I go, oh, you do? I, how do you know? And she's, and I, you know, what, what gave it away? Because I'm not in my costume, you know? I don't really look like the same guy. It's a hat backwards and a cape. Uh, how do you know it's me? And she said, I saw you up there and you had that hairy thing on your face. <laughs> you caught me red-handed. You got me. But you got to love it, right? You've got to love the faith of a child and we sometimes wonder where does that go, right? Where does that go as we grow up and get all mature and all serious? But we're still just a bunch of grown up Kids, And as we're talking about Vacation Bible Schools, we're talking about the, 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 the dozens of kids that just went up to Kingdom Quest, we're talking about loving the kids that are in the nursery right now, the kids that you have, the kids that you have influence over of uh, in your life, the point is that we're planting these seeds of faith that we hope will continue to grow. When you plant a garden, when you plant an uh, apple tree or whatever you're planting, you pray that it grows, that the seed that you plant it grows and it produces fruit. And so in these, these tiny seeds of faith that we're planting in these children's hearts, we pray that is the case. That's what we're doing later on at our 11 o'clock service. We have a brother and a sister that are getting baptized today. How cool is that, right? Praise God for that, yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It doesn't end there. Just as baptism is a beginning, just as vacation Bible school is a beginning as we're planting these seeds of faith in these kids' hearts, we pray that it's grown, we pray that it's nurtured, that it's only the beginning, that they continue to grow and develop and mature in their faith. And the question is, why would it be any different for us as grown-up kids? 
And that's what we're going to dive into today. We're in the middle of this series called Radical Christianity. You saw some guy up there uh, in, in a suit. I had the honor of preaching at our West Des Moines campus last weekend. And, and you're on this big stage. I much more prefer the free throw line. Amen? That's just to feel a little bit more at home here. Right? We're one church family, but you're my family. Right? We're, we're here. I'm hanging out uh, at the free throw line. Um, we're talking about radical Christianity. Everybody say radical. radical. I, don't, I don't believe you. Say radical. 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 Whoa, geez, that's like a tidal wave. Radical Christianity, we're walking through our core values as a church. These these non-negotiables, these statements of faith that keep us on track to accomplish our mission. So we've been walking through these uh, one by one. And uh, the first one, Jesus' life, the rest is just details. All the way down last week, Pastor Andy talked about we're one body united in Jesus Christ And today we're talking about that very aspect of how do we continue to grow. Christianity is a growing experience. Everybody say growing. 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 In other words, you're getting the idea. If you say it really loud the first time, then you don't have to do it again, right? God's desire for every single one of us is that our faith is not something that stays stagnant or stationary, but it's something that continues to grow. It's constantly being nurtured and fed and stretched. When, amen. When Jesus calls his followers, he says, follow me. He doesn't say, stay there, you know, learn all these theological doctrines, memorize the Bible, get your life all put together, and then you can come follow me. He just says, you're broken, messed up, weird, follow me. And I don't know about you, but I'm in that category, right? Anybody else? We're, welcome to Lutheran Church of Hope, right? We're broken, messed up, and weird. And if you're not, you're a liar, right? So... Jesus says, come follow me, which means you can't stay where you are. You can't stay where you are and follow Jesus. It just doesn't compute. You have to get up and follow him. The question that I'm wondering this morning when you think about your spiritual journey is, where are you? Where are you? If we kind of, I'm a visual guy, so if we kind of look at our journey of faith as a, as a pathway, a lot of you started off and you had this, this huge mountaintop experience, I'm guessing, or, or something that just God really resonated in your heart when you first came to faith or when you first believed, and it was kind of a mountaintop experience, and it was awesome, and you were on a spiritual and emotional high. But at some point in your life, you came to the startling realization that following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean your life is going to be easy all the time. Yeah? Anybody realize that? Or you will soon, Right? Following Jesus makes life worth living. It doesn't make it any easier sometimes. And so all of a sudden, you feel like you're down in the spiritual dumps. You're down in the valley. And at various points along our spiritual journeys, sometimes we feel really close to God, like he's right there with us. Things are clicking along. And other times we feel really distant from God. And we wonder, God, are you still with me? You still hearing my prayers? And so over the course of our journey, we go up and down, and some of you have just sort of plateaued. Faith is just sort of stagnant. You can't really remember the last time that you just felt on fire for God. If you're at the hospital and they're monitoring your heart, you've flatlined. You're not dead. You're just not doing anything. You're just stagnant. You just plateaued. So my question for you is, where are you today on that journey of faith? 
And this could not be more important because for some of us today, you're kind of just going through the motions of Christianity and you're not exactly sure what the point is or exactly where you're going. You're on this roller coaster, but you're like, what's the point? Where, what's, what is the goal of all this? Why do I come to worship every single week? Why do the pastors keep saying, read your Bible and pray? Like, what's the point of all that? Do you ever, anybody remember Alice in Wonderland? This is kind of a stretch for me, but... Normally, it's sports analogies up here, but I'm going Alice in Wonderland on you this morning, right? There's this really funny scene, and I'm just going to have to read it so I get it right. Uh, so Alice is on her journey. She's traveling around, and she runs into the cat. You remember the cat from Alice in Wonderland, right? Yeah, exactly. And Alice runs to the cat. Alice doesn't know where she's going, and she says, which way should I go? Which way should I go? And the cat says, well, that depends on where you're going. And then Alice says... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. And then the cat says, well, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Some of us are Alice's this morning. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what the point of all this is because for some of you, it's like, okay, uh, I believe in Jesus, which means I come to worship every week. I try to be a pretty good person, um, which means I feel a little bit more guilty than the average person that doesn't believe. I try to not drink too much. I try to not smoke too much. I try to not swear, especially uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, I try to be a pretty good person, and I just come, and I worship, and I put in my time. Isn't that it? Isn't that kind of the, the point of all this? Isn't that enough? And if it is, then we're missing out on a large part of the journey. It turns out the goal of our faith is not so much a destination as it is a type of person, and we're going to discover what that is this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage all of you to ro- open up to Romans chapter 8, actually, where we're going to start this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So Romans is right after the Gospels. If you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's Bibles under the rows. I would encourage every single person to, to grab a Bible. We're going to look up several different verses this morning. If you need help, just ask the person next to you. should be plenty of people to help out with that. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. So how do we not be Alice's? How do we know where we're going? How do we know what the point of all this is? Well, we start in Romans 8. And we start in verse 28. If you're there, say, I'm there. there. All right. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, you're probably very familiar with that verse. You probably love it, right? God has a purpose for my life. There's a divine plan. Everybody wants to know what God's will is. We love that verse, and it's absolutely true. God is working all things in your life together for your good. But do you know what the purpose of your life is? In short, in summary, to get on board with God's purpose. You don't have to go searching for it. It's right here. He's already told us to get in line with God's purpose. And what is God's purpose for you? Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Your translation might put it a little bit differently, but that's the basic idea. God's number one desire for us is that we would look more and more like his son, Jesus. In other words, we become people who are increasingly thinking, feeling, and acting like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the point of the journey, is that we are moving towards 
Christ. There's a fancy word for that that we use in Scripture. It's called a disciple. We're living lives of discipleship. As we move from here, from where we were and who we were, to where we're going and the person that you want to be, as we're moving towards the cross, we are disciples, we are followers of Jesus Christ. And if, if looking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, is the goal, that's the point of the journey, then a disciple is not necessarily measured by how much information you know. It's not primarily measured by how many groups or programs you attend. It's not primarily measured by how young or old or experienced or inexperienced you might be. Discipleship or spiritual growth, as we call it, is measured by one question. Well, actually two. Does my life look more and more like Jesus? And am I teaching others to do the same? Probably the two most important questions we could ask. Does my life look more and more like Jesus and am I teaching others to do the same? That's the call is to be disciples who make disciples. And looking out there today, I don't see any caps and gowns, which means none of you have graduated from Christianity yet, right? The point is we never do. We never get there. We never graduate from the process. Remember the saying, been there, done that, got the t-shirt? Remember that? It might, is that like the 80s or the 90s? I'm not that old, right? 80s, right? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Some of us have that attitude about our faith. I've been on the journey for a while. I've basically experienced everything there is to experience with this church thing, this God thing I know. We come in, we sing a few songs, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 you know, the whole bit. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I don't, I don't think any of us ever reach that point. At least I hope that you haven't. It doesn't exist. Christianity is a growing experience. It's a journey towards Christ-likeness. And I wonder, where are you at today on that journey? The good thing is that God can use all this to grow you. The ultimate question is, is all of this moving towards Christ? Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be twists and turns. Every good journey has them. The question is, are you moving? Are you growing? Are you changing? Do you look different as a follower of Jesus now than a week ago? Than a month ago? Than last August 10th? Might be difficult to answer, but I think it's a really good question. And if you look the same, why? Might you be going through the motions? It's really, really possible, folks, to be a full-time churchgoer and a part-time disciple. Scripture talks about being a disciple 268 times. It talks about being a churchgoer zero. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Don't go home and say, my pastor told me not to go to church, right? I actually can't go to church because we are the church. doesn't really make sense, right? Bible just says be a disciple, and a part of being a disciple is that you worship with God's family weekly. So be a full-time disciple. That's the call that God has placed on our lives. It's like a journey. Where are you today? A few years ago, uh, my wife Tiffany and I took a journey, uh, quite the hike, uh, actually. We were out in, in Colorado. Anybody ever been to Colorado? It's, it's beautiful. I love it. And Tiffany knows that I love the mountains. I love looking at them, not climbing them. 
okay? Not exactly the most in-shape person for a mountain climb, but we're out there, we're staying at a hotel, and she gets me up early one morning, she loves to surprise me, and she says, put on comfortable shoes, comfortable clothes, and bring lots of water. And I'm like, oh no. I know what's coming, right? And so she drives me out. I have no idea where I'm going. She drives me out to the middle of what feels like nowhere, and we're in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, and she pulls off. There's kind of this scenic overlook, and then there is this path. And she pulls over, and we kind of walk down to the trailhead, and she says, look up. And way, way up there, you can barely make it out, is a little tiny waterfall, which is actually a huge waterfall. There's this natural kind of reservoir, this, this pond, this lake that's up there that supposedly no humans have ever been in. So there's no oils or weird stuff. It's just clear as day. And there's this beautiful, huge waterfall. And she says, that's where we're going. And I go, oh, no. This is going to take a long time. I'm thinking, okay, it's kind of far away, but it doesn't look that far away. And so we get to the trailhead, and we start off hiking with all of our gear. And, and we're going, and I'm thinking, you know, it kind of looks maybe like three hours. You know, we'll be there and back in three hours. Seven and a half hours later, we're back in our car. And the whole time, especially on the way down, I'm thinking of Gilligan's Island, right? A three-hour tour, right? It's like a three-hour hike right? And it's filled with twists and turns. And as I was thinking about all the different aspects of a hike, and I'll tell you more about that later, it reminded me a lot of our journey of faith, minus the, the arrow pointing to Jesus. Actually, the arrow should be pointing to water. That's what I really needed. Uh, this is kind of like our hike. If the destination is the waterfall, if the destination is Jesus, right? There's all sorts of twists and turns. And so it was with our hike. A lot of unexpected things come on our journey, but there's highs and lows. There's places where it feels like we're walking uphill. There's areas where we are walking downhill. And it, I was thinking about that. I was also thinking there's all different sorts of people on the journey as there were on our hike. As we walked along, the, the first kind of people, there was definitely people at the trailhead, like me, looking up, deciding if it's even worth starting. And that's where some of you are at in your faith this morning. You're just kind of dipping your toes. You're just kind of standing at the trailhead, looking at the journey of faith going, hmm, do I have time for this? Is it really going to be worth it? Do I really want to do all that Jesus stuff? And you're just way back here just trying to decide, man, that hill looks really high. Do I even go for it? So that's one group of people. The next group of people were, were you're on the journey, you're somewhere along here, and maybe you've got down here and you're kind of down in the dumps. There was people on our hike in Colorado that had definitely given up. They were laying on the side, which is very encouraging as you're walking up. Um, they're like, ugh, right? They're just tired. Maybe they were dehydrated or whatever, but there was definitely people on the side. Some were just tired and they were taking a break, which is good to do. We're called to rest. Some had given up. Some had just sort of stopped growing, stopped moving, and that's maybe where some of you are at today. You're just, I don't know if it's worth it. I think I'm just going to quit. And third, finally, there was definitely some people that were a lot more prepared for the trip because they were going a lot faster than we were, uh, for me, uh, for sure. They were clearly prepared. They're moving quickly. The goal was in sight. They were clearly trained for this. Another way of looking at that is, you know, if this is our journey, another way of viewing our faith around hope is something that we call the hope circle. I think we have a graphic for that 
up on the screen. It was developed many years ago to kind of say, hey, what are the different uh, mile markers along our journey? What are the different trail markers along as we grow in our faith as you think about that? And it's based on Mark chapter 4, verse 20. It says, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times what had been planted. So if you focus on that, what Jesus is saying, there's three things that Christians do. We hear God's word, we accept it, we internalize it, we take ownership of it, and then we produce a fruit. As the seed of faith in us grows, just like it does the kids, we grow in our spiritual maturity and we move from being seekers to believers to followers to servant leaders. And it's very careful. Don't think of this as like a ladder to climb of like, oh, I'm, you know, one's better than the next. I'm a follower and you're just a believer. Well, we don't do that. Please don't put labels on people. It's not helpful at all. Think of the Hope Circle more as kind of those markers as we were going along our hike. Think of them as kind of little markers, little, little flags along the journey. And, and wherever you're at, there's just little markers to say I'm kind of more in a seeker mode. I'm in a more of a believer mode more of a follower, more of a servant leader. And we, we start out seeking, as some of you are. As we get on the journey, we believe, and some of you have decided, I don't want to just believe up here. I want to live it out every single day. That's why we do our class called CORE that's coming up this fall, which we encourage you to take. How do I take what's up here? How do I actually live it out on a daily basis? And some of you have decided to move on, and you said, no, I'm going to start giving it away. I'm going to become a servant leader. And when we do that, when we progress along on our journey, when we go on to maturity, and when we reach that point where we're a servant leader, we start to look more and more like Jesus. That's who he was. That's the point of our scripture that we heard read for us this morning. So flip on over to Mark chapter 10. It'll be just a few books before Romans where you were earlier. This is where our friends James and John get it all wrong. They get it all wrong. Mark chapter 10. 10. To kind of set the stage, Jesus has just got done saying to his disciples, hey, uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested, uh, flogged, whipped, beaten, and crucified. Does anybody want to come with? Okay, so you would think that at this point in the story, the disciples would be humble. They would say, oh, very sympathetic for Jesus. I'm really sorry. How can we support you in this? How can we serve you? Watch what the bonehead disciples do, okay? Verse 35, you and I would probably have done the same thing. Mm -hmm. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were in verse 35, came to him, teacher, meaning to Jesus, they said. <laughs> this is right after Jesus said, I'm going to give my life for you. And they say, we want you to do for us whatever, you, whatever we ask. We would like to sit next to you on thrones in heaven. Could you make that possible, Jesus? Because we just think we're just that important. Wait a minute. Time out, right? If you had one chance to ask Jesus a question, if you had one chance to say something to Jesus, what would you say? Oh, I don't know, like, thank you for the whole, like, dying on the cross for my sins thing, right? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me eternity. Not give me what I want. Sounds like a grumpy teenager, right? Give me the keys and I'll be back home whenever I want, right? What are the disciples thinking? But if I'm Jesus, I'm going to slap them upside the head, Right? But instead of getting frustrated with the disciples, we can learn from this, those of us that are leaders, which is all of you. Use it as a teaching opportunity. 
We don't scold, we don't shame, we use it as a teaching opportunity. And so Jesus goes in in verse 42. So Jesus called them together, he said, okay, get the whole gang together. We need to learn something here. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Let's read this last part together. We got verse 43 up on the screen. Let's read that together. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. So if folks, what Jesus is saying is if you're a leader in any capacity, which I believe every single one of you is, leaders are people that have influence. Do you have influence in your life? Do you have influence over the people around you? Absolutely. So that means that you are a leader. Whether it's in business or in your family or in the church or in your school, wherever you have influence, wherever you are a leader, God has not given you that position of leadership to lord it over other people. God has given you your position of leadership to serve, to flip the organizational chart upside down and say, I'm not at the top of the pyramid, I'm at the bottom. And what it means to be a leader is to come alongside other people and help them win, to help them achieve, to help them be lifted up, and to help them grow. That's what servant leaders do. That's what we're called to do. Amen? That's what Jesus is talking about here. So often we believe this lie in the church that the farther along we are in our journey, some of you are saying, oh yeah, I've been around for a long time. I'm probably a servant leader. And maybe you are, but oftentimes the lie that we believe about that is that the farther along we are, the more we just get to kick back and say, well, I've done the church thing for a long time. I'm just going to let other people do it. We think as servant leaders, we've been there, done that, so we can just sit on the side of the trail and simply analyze what everybody else is doing, and we call that leadership. Jesus just throws a wrench in the whole system. And he says, are you a servant leader or are you a commentator? Jesus flips the org chart upside down and he says, you want to be great in this life? You want to be a leader? You want to truly have influence? You want to go deep? Everybody's always saying, I want to go deep with my group. I want to go deep in my faith. You want to go deep? Stop consuming your way to faith and start washing some feet which is what Jesus does just a few days before he's crucified, before he's been betrayed. Can you imagine him washing Judas' feet? That's servant leadership. Knowing that the person's going to betray you, you still serve them. Jesus says, love your enemies. That's servant leadership. According to Jesus, servant leadership isn't sitting around talking about what we should be doing Oh, you know, we should start a ministry for that. Somebody should really go serve those people. Somebody should really get out there and reach out to that group of people. Servant leaders say, I'll do it. Needs to happen, I'll do it. Servant leaders are the ones that are on the trail getting your hands and feet dirty just like everybody else, encouraging, setting an example, knowing that if you are a spiritual leader, you can't expect anybody else to go somewhere where you're not willing to go yourself. Servant leaders aren't standing saying, everybody take the hill. Servant leaders are saying, I'm going first. And if I die, then that just means I'm setting a role model in military terms or on a hike. Servant leaders are the ones along the way encouraging. Servant leadership is about giving ourselves away. 
which means the opposite then is consuming, is being consumers. And our culture is filled with that. You know this. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to being a part of a church family, consumers say, what's in it for me? Servant leaders say, how can I be a blessing to others? Consumers say, somebody else will do it. Servant leaders say, if not me, then who? If not me, then who? And yet for so many Christians, spiritual growth, this journey of becoming a servant leader, seems optional. Oh, you know, John, it's just for those one kind of Christians. The ones that get really fired up about their faith. It's like for pastors and stuff. It's not true. Until we realize maybe it's not optional because of how important it actually is. Came across this story, which is it's not funny, but it's a little funny this past week. Did you hear about this? This train in Perth, Australia? came across this. The guy was getting off in the subway station. This guy was getting off in a crowded subway and he fell and he slipped and his leg, his entire leg got stuck between the train and the, the, the pad, the, the strip of getting out. And he stuck. So immediately some emergency personnel uh, came and said, you know, stop, don't let the train take off because if the train would have taken off, it would have killed the guy, right? So this is serious stuff, Right? But the problem remains, his leg was stuck. I'm not joking. It seems like something you, you know, everything on the internet's true, right? So this is, this actually happened. It was reported by all these news stations. And so after a few tries to help, more and more people started gathering around to join in to help. And I won't ruin it for you. There's no audio on this, which I like. You really have to pay attention. Watch what happens. Watch what everybody does to help this guy out. Let's take a look. Isn't that fascinating? They got him, by the way, so praise God for that, right? Is that not the most fascinating thing you've ever seen? And to kind of watch it in silence is a little unique. Maybe that's the most quiet you've been the entire week. I know it is for me. I like to talk a lot. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And you might look at that and say, oh, what a nice bunch of people. You know what I see? A picture of a healthy church. A picture of a bunch of people who decided they're not going to simply be innocent bystanders. Some of them, oh, what's going on here? Uh, Looks like a guy's stuck. Oh, I'm busy, right? But everybody started to gather around. They're not just a bunch of innocent bystanders, but instead they start to take ownership of the situation and they do whatever is necessary to accomplish the mission. In order to get that guy unstuck, it didn't just take a few people helping out. You know, the real gunners. It took everybody right? There was, there was hundreds of people pressed up, and then you see that guy at the end come in? He could have very easily said, oh, looks like they got it under control. He's like, there's a couple hundred people. Looks like I'm needed too. And he just jumped right in there and started pushing, right? And with all of them combined, they accomplished the mission. Consumers would say, oh, I'm sure they'll get him out eventually. But that's not what our call is to be servant leaders, Consumers would have walked right past and say, it doesn't really affect me. It's, it's, I'm not really interested. There's nothing in it for me. I think they'll get them out eventually. And you say, oh, John, but this was different. This isn't like church. This is, this is a matter of life and death. And our mission isn't? Because there might not be people stuck under trains, 
But becoming servant leaders and becoming those types of people in the church goes from being optional to being absolutely necessary because of how many people that are in our areas of influence every single day, they're not not under a train, but they're stuck in hopelessness and fear and depression and isolation and addiction and sin. I call that a matter of life and death. And when that's the case, not just a few people go to the rescue, we all go and we all push together. Amen? That's what I love about that story. And if we're going to accomplish the mission of reaching out to the city with God's love, it's going to take more than just a few. It's going to take all of us pushing together and taking ownership. A situation like that, servant leaders look at it, and you see what some of those guys did early on? They started mobilizing everybody else. They started saying, let's go! Let's go! Come on! The time to act is now! We don't stand around and watch and wait for somebody else to do it. We go! Let's go! Servant leaders mobilize everybody around them. Are you that kind of a person? Or are you more of an innocent bystander on the side? Jesus is calling us to be servant leaders. And maybe for you that means stepping up and helping out with one of our workdays. Maybe for you that means taking ownership of of your spiritual growth and saying, God's made me a leader. And I've been on this journey long enough. I need to start giving it away. And it's, it's, it's say, instead of saying, oh, we should start a group to reach those people, why don't you just go start a group and why don't you just go lead? <laughs> I would encourage you to do that. 90% of the stuff in this church is led by you, not by us. Go do it. Go lead. Go step up and do it. Whatever God is calling you to do. Some of you, it's time to take ownership of your own spiritual journey. Instead of saying, well, I hope I, I, hope I get fed enough on Sunday, I hope the worship's good. I hope the sermon's not too boring. And I hope I get my little nugget of truth for the week. Why don't you just take ownership of it and go and approach God and pursue him for a fresh encounter every single day and Sunday morning's just icing on the cake. Amen? Take ownership of your spiritual journey. It's all about God. It's not about you working harder. It's just saying, God, I want more of you. Monday through Saturday, not just on Sundays. Servant leaders look at everything around them that needs to change and, and they say, if not me, then who? If not me, then who? So how do we move from one trailhead? How do we move from one mile marker to the next? I just want to leave you with three pieces here as I invite uh, a couple members of the band to come on back up as we wrap up. I want to I just highlight three things that I think are essential, three things that were actually a part of our hike. So you remember me, I'm huffing and puffing on our trail there in Colorado, and we're making our way up. And there's people that are all over the place, and as we look at Scripture, there's a few common themes that emerge for those of us that want to move from here to here. And how do we go through this journey, and what does that look like? So we're about halfway there on the Annenson family hike. And uh, Tiffany's way up there, and I'm back here huffing and puffing. And we came to a creek that was covering the trail. And I thought, I'm a guy. I can handle this, right? The creek doesn't look that wide, and so I get a running start, and I jump. And I hit the bank, and I slip, and I fall back in, and I'm standing about knee-deep, which isn't bad, in the creek. And Tiffany just laughs. Of course, she doesn't help me. Uh, She's just laughing at me. And... The problem was, right before I did that, there was a sign by the crick that said, follow the path. (laughs) There's a little detour around. I'm like, I don't want to take the extra time. I just want to go do it myself. Number one, if you're going to move from here to there in your faith, follow the signs. 
follow the directions. God has given us his word, not to weigh us down with rules, but to give us the path to life. Jesus didn't think he could handle life without being immersed in God's word, inside and out. So what makes us think that we can? Not only directions, we need to follow the directions to to move from here to there, but we need to travel with the right companions. There was multiple times on our hike where I was ready to quit. (laughs) And my superwoman wife is way ahead and I'm gasping for air and over and over and over she's saying, come on, honey, you got this. You can do this. Only a half mile and then we rest. Over and over and over, just giving me little marks along the way. Not to mention the dozens of people that were running past me, breezing past me. And they're saying, you got it. Keep going. A couple of them said, it'll totally be worth it. We need those kind of people in our lives as well. If you're on the spiritual journey today, who do you have along with you? These are the servant leaders, the ones who are charging up the hill, calling out to you. Those who have been here before, do you have people in your life that say, don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on fighting through that family tension you're in. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on that dream that God put on your heart several years ago. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Some of you desperately want to grow in your faith, but you're trying to play a team sport by yourself. Are you letting anybody in? Does anybody know what's going on in your life? How can they encourage you if they don't know you? So directions, we need companions for our journey, and last but not least, no matter where you're at today, you won't make that final step without nourishment. Believe it or not, at the beginning of our hike, there was a sign. You knew it was going to be a long hike when the sign said, bring plenty of liquid. So we had a couple water bottles, and man, halfway up that that hike, water never tasted better. You know when you work out or you go for a run, it tastes so good. It's like, oh, it's so good. That's what Jesus wants to be for your soul. And I was just thinking about this this week, and Man, it's the middle of the summer. It's August. It's the dog days of summer. When's the last time you were just with God? Jesus says, I am the living water. I want to quench your thirst. I want to fill up your soul. When's the last time you were just with God? And so that's my challenge to you this week. Don't do this journey without nourishment. What if you just carved out some time this week to simply rest in God's presence? Get a load of this. You don't even have to read your Bible or pray. Just be with God. Let him speak over you and into your heart. Let him give you nourishment for the journey. Don't do it without him. And even if it's been a really long time, I I know I've had these moments recently where it's been a while and there's been these stretches and some of you are sitting there going, I can't remember the last time I really sat down and just spent time with God. And some of you are believing this lie that when you go to God, he's going to say, where have you been? You know what I think God's going to say? Even if it's been a month or a year without spending time with him, you know what I think your father wants to say to you this morning? Oh man, I can't wait to spend time with you. 
This is going to be great. Welcome back. Welcome home. Don't, don't do this journey without me. Just come spend some time with me. Read the directions, find some companions, and take plenty of nourishment for the journey. And when we finally reach the top, we reach this beautiful lake, and this, this reservoir, and this awesome waterfall. And all I kept saying to myself was, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. It was so worth it. Following Jesus is more than worth it. It's the hike of a lifetime. It's the adventure of a lifetime. It is so worth it. So what I want you to do right now is I didn't want to just give you a bunch of good ideas to think about. I want you to go do them. I want you to put it into action. So if you have your bulletin, I want you to flip it over. And every week, there's a part at the bottom of the note section on the back that says, my next steps. It's not there to look at, it's there to use. And when you think about where you're at on your journey, on this journey of faith, what's your next step? I want you to just write that down. Maybe it's finding direction in God's word. Maybe it's finding some companions for the journey. Maybe it's nourishment. Maybe this week you just need to slow down and rest and be with God. So I want you to just take a minute and based on what we've talked about today, I want you to do something with it. It's biblical. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers. Act on it. What is God telling you this morning? Don't leave here this morning without an action step. Spend some time with your father.